J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley. I'm the host of Talking Books, and I'm delighted to have on my show today Keith Vincent from Sedona in Arizona in the United States of America. Now, Arizona, everyone, is the only state in the U.S. that doesn't change its clocks to coincide with the changing seasons. I thought I'd share that little bit of knowledge with you. I learned that when I've been talking to authors around America. Arizona doesn't change its clocks. There you go. But Keith's not here to talk about changing clocks. He's here to talk about his book, The Miracle's Curse, all about a replicator machine, something that most of us would have seen on Star Trek, especially if you are like me, a Trekkie fan. Oh, yes, we've got replicators, everybody. Wow, we. I am so excited. I'm just a big kid at heart. I really am. <laughs> um, Keith originated from Cleveland, Ohio, on the shores of Lake Erie. He's lived in Massachusetts, New York, Japan, but it's Arizona that he regards as his home territory. He's a dog lover and he's very devoted to his longtime wife. He's a retired accountant and the realms of quantum physics have long held a fascination for him. Hence the subject of the book, everybody. So let's invite him onto the show to talk about his book, why he's written it and what's in it. Keith, come and join me. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm absolutely fine. It's 22 degrees here in the United Kingdom, and I believe where you are, it's 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit in Arizona. It is. It's warm, but the humidity is going up, and so is the dew point. We're ready for monsoons. <laughs> and I have to say, in the UK, we talk centigrade, everybody, whereas I do understand in the United States, you talk Fahrenheit. A little bit of useless information, everybody. There you go. We've always had a problem with, with the metric system. Absolutely. There you go. Same language, but a different language. <laughs> <laughs> um, Keith, uh, before we get into the book, would you like to tell the viewers, the audience, the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you've written this book? Uh, it's uh, The first thing was, I've always wanted to be a writer. And every attempt that I came up with dissatisfied me. I didn't write what I was writing, so I discarded it and stopped. Uh, after I had retired, uh, a lot of things happened to me that uh, made me change my outlook on life. And uh, when I started to become involved or interested in the quantum physics aspect of things, I says, you know, this is a technology that we're just scratching the surface of. And we could probably make things out of thin air. So I went and researched how to make a uh, streplicator. There's actually a, a recipe and a guideline for how to make a, a replicator in the book. And uh, a real physicist will tell you what the drawbacks are, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as quantum physics go, uh, I... Uh, uh, 
I probably know more about quantum physics than a lot of people, and I hardly know anything. So it's, it's so totally and counterintuitive. So I said, what would happen if we had a uh, piece of technology that just did what everybody politically and ideologically is saying they're going to do for you? And got the story started. And uh, uh, it doesn't work out as anticipated. And that's the whole idea. Brilliant. There you go, everyone. Uh, yes, wouldn't it be great to have a replication of homes, making things out of thin air? Hmm. Not only thin air, but yeah. out of carbon. And carbon. Ooh, out of carbon. carbon. It's the carbon that's being used to create the subatomic particles that are then reassembled to create things out of thin air. That means we're reducing the carbon in the atmosphere. Quite the miracle. I'll let you get into that in one of these chapters. Hold that point. <laughs> um, Keith, let's open the book. Now, there are 60-odd um, short chapters to this book. Now, everybody, relax. We're not going to go through all 60 chapters because we'll be here till Christmas. And if you want to know what's in all those 60 chapters, well, it's very simple. Go and buy the book. I can't say fairer than that. Um, but we are going to go to a, a few chapters and talk about them. And these are the chapters that both Keith and I have agreed upon. And they will give you a very good flavor of what is in the book. And that's the whole concept of this uh, podcast interview and this TV interview is to give you a flavor, to whet your appetite enough to make you go and have a look. What is Keith Vincent about and what is his book about? That's the whole concept. <coughs> not about reading the entire book. Now, Keith, let's uh, head to chapter eight. Now, this is a relatively short chapter. You set the scene with Agent Hayden Jefferson sipping his coffee at the old Boston diner. He's bemused as to why his agency are so interested in a PhD candidate in Boston who was working on an innovative technology that the government perceived as a national security issue. You talk about Marbell, Microsoft, businesses who have become successful, ending up being investigated by the Justice Department. That is the US Justice Department, everybody. Is this government spying going on here, Keith? And why was this chapter for you, so important to start this interview off with? The, uh, the idea of government keeping track of what individuals are doing, uh, especially now, is, uh, is it's right up in forefront. Uh, the problem is, is that, in my opinion, in order to lead, you have to know what the conditions are. And the an innovative piece of technology changed the conditions. That's why the technology in the book was created, was to change the conditions so that we can see how humans and mankind will react. And this particular introduction to, well, why would the federal government be looking into uh, uh, Peter Harris uh, is 
just the start of that particular uh, trip that the government takes probably on a daily basis. They have to be informed. In order to solve problems or deal with problems, you have to be able to define the problems. They need to know what this technology is about. Plus, if I'm making things out of thin air, some of those things, I mean, let's face it, humans have had a history of taking great ideas and turning them into weapons. They have. So sometimes technology um, is brilliant, but sometimes it can have the adverse effects. And I think we all see that in today's modern world, everybody. Um, now, Keith, I want to um, you know, go a little bit further into the book. I want to delve into two chapters, um, chapters 10 and 12. Um, which I think we both agreed on, appeal to us both. Now, in the first of the two chapters, which is chapter 10, everyone, you have Ira. He's a legal guy. He's commanding a meeting. He's highly suspicious of the CIA tactics and methods. He appears to be very adept, uh, proficient at his job, but his expertise overwhelms Peter Harris, the nerdy PhD physicist whose concept of the replica is nearing experimental completion. Now, the second chapter here is chapter 12. And here we've got President Sam J. Menendez. This is a fictional, fictitious president, everyone. And his attention has been drawn to Peter Harris and his research about creating real products from thin air carbon. And he's getting perturbed about this research particularly if it got into the wrong hands and what damage that could do the US. Now, we've already touched on this, if things get into the wrong hands, new technology. Um, my question here, Keith, is where do you get your information from to create these settings? And are you in disguise trying to, in some sort of uncoded fashion, trying to educate the public as to what goes on in the corporate and political world. Plus, well, do you enjoy writing about this subject matter? The mask has been ripped off. <laughs> you have exposed me. Oh, dear. Uh, yes. <laughs> when, when I look at things, I try to look at them without a bias. And uh, that was one of the big things about uh, writing the book, is I had to... Uh, uh, take a look at things from both sides so that I could ultimately uh, be consistent in my approach. Uh, and uh, I am of the opinion that people should not trust their government. The government should be beholden to the people, not the other way around. And that's the suspicion I'm starting to put here. Now, the president, Menendez, he, uh, I created him as an honorable man and uh, it is difficult for him to maintain his honor uh, simply because of all the responsibilities that he has. Does that answer the question? Perfectly. And if Great. you want to know, and if you want to know everybody, what else is in those chapters? Well, guess what? Go and read the book. Um, move along. Keith, to uh, chapter 28. 
Um, now, here we have President, you know, President Mendes talking to his um, Treasury Secretary in the Oval Office about the pros and cons of the strapulator, you know, could have for the government. Uh, strapulator Incorporation, the owner, is based in Costa Rica. That's Peter. So he, Peter lives in Costa Rica, everybody, with his wife, Tracy. Why does he live in Costa Rica? Well... I might ask the author in a minute. Let's see. The president is concerned about having no control over the technology. As far as he is concerned, it could be a Trojan horse coming into the country. And he's up for freedom. He's all, you know, um, looking for in support of uh, democratic rights and choice. But at the end of the day, at this precise moment, he wants this technology stopped. He doesn't trust it. So this is a short but very significant chapter, everybody. Um, so my question here, Keith, is did you intentionally set the comings and goings here in this fashion deliberately? If so, why? And do you think this part of the book adds overall value to the theme of the general significant storyline enough to keep the readers turning those pages? What do you say here? Well, let me answer the second part first. I hope so. <laughs> I hope they keep turning the page. So do I. And the reason why I introduced this portion into the book is that uh, Peter and his wife live in Costa Rica only because Ira, the attorney, has figured out that there's a lot of friction and a lot of problems with the U.S. government. So they took the whole thing out of the country and moved it to South America. And, uh, <clears throat> and what this represents is a huge conflict. I mean, you're talking about a person who has created something, it belongs to him. And uh, without due process, there's no way that you can take it from him under the constitution. Yet it does represent for some reason for President Menendez, a threat. Uh, and there, the threat is bigger than just what you can make with this machine. Uh, and he hasn't been able to put his finger on what it is that bothers him as yet. And I'm trying, and he's going to figure it out pretty soon. Uh, in fact, it'll be uh, later on in the book. He'll know exactly why he was upset with it. Okay. Let's take the um, the viewers, the the listeners to. Um midway into the book, uh, chapters 31 to 33 inclusive. Um, you wanted to talk about these chapters because, you know, you think this is very significant. So let's see what the listeners and audience think to is, are these chapters significant? So let's go to them. Um, for me, these chapters are about the political reaction to the President Menendez's unpopular decision about Strapulator Incorporation products, which for a non-US company has done a great job of moving their issue up the priority ladder with the voters and the TV ads haven't even started everybody. Top politicians are having to address this matter above other important, more fundamental issues that are affecting the US economy. Congressmen and senators are under attack from their um, constituents, their voters, 
uh, for a lack of direction around Stripulator's website. The arguments going on between Capitol Hill and the White House are, to put it bluntly, very intriguing. And so my question to you, Keith, is these comings and goings and President Mendes's view here. Um, do you think the audience um, will understand what's going on here and why the plot seems to be intensifying here as any good plot should be? You are ratcheting up the storyline here. Have you done this deliberately? Because you should be doing it deliberately to get a good book out. And again, I'm going to come back to the president. What is it that he's not happy about this? Uh, I can I can almost answer that question with a question, uh, and I'm I'm going to start off with a question. If you had a streplicator sitting in your house, would you be doing what you're doing right now? No, I'd be making things and selling them. Uh, well, why would you sell them if everybody else has a streplicator and they could make them themselves? Then I wouldn't have to go out and buy those products. Okay. I'll be saving money. Okay. I, I, sure. That's right. Uh, and so what happens to the people who uh, would normally provide those goods and services? That go out of business. Aha. So basically, and, and this is this is the problem that I even see, and it's been, well, I've been there for quite some time, is that we have a tendency to want to consume without producing it is a human nature of ours. And there has to be a balance. And you say, well, the uh, machine will produce it. Well, what about the guy who makes the electricity when you plug it into the wall? What about the person who writes all those little applications that goes into the machine so that you can make your ham sandwich? Uh, those people are going to start to disappear as well. The support that we have as a community begins to disappear when we try to consume, when we don't produce, it cheapens us. And politically, this was introduced because people want to be able to consume. And when their leaders say, no, you can't consume that way, they become unpopular. And that's why you have the political intrigue that goes along there to show how the politicians themselves Get, them so, get themselves into these really stretchy, nasty situations where they have to satisfy the constituency and do what do the right thing. And uh, sometimes the two don't go together. I suppose if you've got um, people aren't making things because, you know, you know, people aren't being employed to make these things, um, the governments, uh, the US government's probably thinking, well, if they're not working, we're not going to get taxes off them. And if we're not going to get taxes off them, we can't. Uh, fulfill our obligations to, um, you know, the military or um, overseas projects or things like that. So maybe that is what is worrying President. There's a little bit about that in the book as well. And uh, I'm one of those people who believes that currency is worthless. You can't eat it. You can't heat your home with it. You can't run your car on it. You can't do anything with it if somebody won't give you something in return. Value is what we need to focus on as a society, not currency. Currency solves nothing. It's just a band-aid. 
I still lack a replicator, everybody. That's just me. <laughs> everybody does. That's why I made the replicator. <laughs> yeah, I made a replicator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to say, Keith, I'm glad you wanted to include the next chapter. Now, this is chapter 43, everybody. I got the impression that Peter, with the technological skills of one of his replicators, has created a new heart for a patient. Hmm. Now, that's groundbreaking. But within a few lines later, you tell us that Peter's computer has been taken. Now, it's a brief chapter, everybody. It's very intense. There's a lot going on in it, but it's very brief. What's going on here, Keith? Tell us briefly. Uh, the ability to make the heart had to be done in the United States. The equipment had to be brought in and uh, had to be used. At the same time, the equipment and the use of that equipment was considered illegal by the federal government uh, by executive order. So Peter had to break the law to create the heart, created the heart, and the federal government came in to take the equipment uh, for a variety of reasons. First of all, it was illegal. Second of all, they really wanted to know what was in it. And they figured they could reverse engineer it. And that's why they came to take it. Turns out that, uh, well, maybe it wasn't as great an idea as they thought. Yeah, well, let's see what's, um, what's in the computer. I'm not going to tell you, everybody. Read the book. Now, for me, Keith, chapter 50 and 51 are intriguing. Who shot Peter at his home in Costa Rica? This is a bit like who shot JR in Dallas all those years ago. Now, there are still a fair number of us who remember Dallas and the episodes that took place. Who shot JR? So here we are again in this book, Who Shot Peter Harris? Um, this is a twist in the storyline, is it not, Keith? So did you purposefully do this episode here to keep the uh, the reader hooked? Spill the beans, but don't give the story away. Uh, well, I did purposely put it there. Uh, and uh, if I didn't pur purposely put it there, it's still my responsibility. I wrote it. Uh, the people responsible for shooting Peter it's narrowed down to two entities. It's either our federal government or somebody being contracted either through Costa Rica or some other way uh, who's suffering some damage because of the streplicator. And uh, it could be uh, somebody, say, from uh, Costa Rica while our government just does this. Or it could have been somebody sent from our government. Uh, it's a piece of technology that uh, folks are beginning to realize it may not be the wondrous thing that they thought it was to begin with. Mm -hmm. There you go. Um, Keith, what is, you know, we're going to go, and we're getting towards the end of the book here, everybody. And um, this is chapter 60. Um, Keith, what is the significance of the TV interview with the CNBC in chapter 60? Uh, with the now former president, Sam Mendes. Now, he's been out of office for 18 months. But the anchorman of CNBC wants to interview him. 
And it's to do around with this duplicator and what the current president's views are. And now maybe I've missed the point here, um, Keith. So could you clarify why you felt this is an important chapter that you wanted to talk about towards the end of the book? Uh, this particular chapter demonstrates that uh, when people in power report to the people who are supposed to be governed uh, about how well they're doing, they cherry pick information. And President Menendez has decided to uh, not allow himself to be attacked by the, by the people saying, hey, everything's wonderful here. Look at this, look at that, look at the other thing by bringing in the other side of the story. You cannot uh, make decisions based on economics or social issues uh, or government issues or ideologies just based on the positive news. You have to take it all in. And we have a tendency to broadcast the positive cherry pick the good stuff and uh, uh, and disregard the rest. Perfect example would be uh, uh, we our government grew by 4% this year. Well, we had a 5% inflation. Does that mean it actually contracted by 1%? How do you measure it? And that's what President Mendendez is coming through and saying there are other things to look at, to look at the general health of things. Yeah, he is he's, and, the, he's the former president, everybody in this in this chapter. <laughs> um I think this is a brilliant book. I think it's been very exciting and I love the replicator, maybe because I'm just a Star Trek, you know, not, but there you go. That's why I sort of picked the book and start asked if I could interview. And I'm extremely glad that I, you know, I did and that I am. But what's next for Keith Vincent, you know, both in terms of what your own life and are there any books coming down the line? I'm working on uh, two more currently. Uh, and believe me, they have not been as easy to uh, run with the story as this one was. This one was almost inspired. Uh, one is the sequel to this one. One of the characters carries on after this particular story has been uh, uh, set up and, or finished. Uh, the other one is a nice little book about a band of people who uh, have decided that they're uh, tired of a government that is secretive and somewhat less than transparent and uh, decided to do something about it. And there's a few other new pieces of technology ideas on how they can uh, uh, induce the current powers to be honest mm -hmm. and uh, it's uh, it, it uh, I'm really excited when 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 I read my uh, read the prologue, prologue to my wife she says okay I don't care what you're doing right now go in there and start writing <laughs> so uh, but that's been a little difficult to come along to because Sometimes characters just don't come to life for you. And uh, when the characters come to life for me here, then I'll be able to run with the story. Excellent. And a bit of luck, you might let me interview him again. You never know. Uh, with a little bit of luck, I'll have something for you to interview me about. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, Keith, who do you see uh, as your market for this book? Uh, who would you like to see reading your book? Young, old, mature folk, um, kids, who? Uh, it wouldn't be kids. It could be uh, people 20s or older, and it can go into a very mature uh, set of folks. Uh, I have a couple of folks over 70. Uh, one of them came back and said, I don't know who you are, but wow. And uh, another person that uh, I once knew is the uh, most critical person in the world, no critiques, over 70. And then the ones who are 20 to 25, uh, it gives them a glimpse into things that they're not ordinarily seeing uh, because they're still slashing their way through life trying to make their own path. And uh, it, can, it can open a few eyes. Maybe when I was referring to kids, I should have said old kids, but who are young at heart. I think that's more appropriate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It, it, uh, it does not take a look at the most positive side of humanity uh, or the most positive side of economics or politics or ideology. Uh, and uh, we tend to be uh, living organisms and we will try to survive uh, with the least amount of effort. That's the nature of life itself. And we are members of where we are part of life. Indeed, we are. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but few of us, including myself, not being in it, are not self-actualized. And uh, <clears throat> otherwise, I wouldn't write the book. There you go. Um, where can people get your book from, Keith? Well, they're always on Amazon. Uh, and uh, I have a website that is www.books-com by-keith-vincent.com. And there are places that you can go to from there. And uh, a search will show you a few, play, a few other places too. And I try to update the website based on who's got the best prices. And of course, the best deal for me. There you go. Um, Keith Vincent, thank you for giving me the wonderful opportunity to interview you about your book. It's absolutely fascinating, everybody. Uh, replicators, replicators, oh, replicators. I can't stop saying it. Anyway, never mind. Tea <laughs> <laughs> hot, roll gray. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening. So, wherever you are in the world, stay safe. Until next time. Indeed. Be well. Bye.